Network, a podcast designed for women working in financial services and financial technology. I'm Cheryl Brown, Chief Engagement Officer at Females and Finance. I'm also an international speaker on social and digital marketing, too. On The F Word, you'll meet leaders in the community, as well as learn more about recruiting, training, advancing, and retaining quality female talent. Let's take a listen to today's episode. Welcome to The F Word. Today, we have Priscilla O'Neill with us. Priscilla is a certified educational planner and is president and CEO of Summit Scholars, where she is equipping young people to discover their trajectory for success. As a college planning advisor, she works not only with individuals and families, but aligns with other financial service professionals, too, as an independent educational consulting organization specializing in college and career selection, admissions, scholarships, financial aid, and college coaching. Welcome to the show, Priscilla. Oh, thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here today. Yes, the listeners like to know how I get to meet fun people such as yourself in financial services. And you actually reached out to me a couple of years ago because we had a common friend in Joanne Giardini-Russell. And we met, we chatted, and I realized right off, like, you know, where was Priscilla when my kids were in school? You know, they're all adults and now grown, own homes and stuff. But I also want the listeners to know that you're just a sensational human being. I just feel blessed that you're in my circle now. Thank you so much. Love this. Can you give us some background on how you got into this type of work of, you know, doing this specific type of planning? Yes. So I, it's very funny because I started out working with senior citizens and older people. Um, And then there was an emergency at the school that uh, my husband was the administrator for. And um, the guidance counselor left in August and it was time to start school back and they needed someone immediately. And the hiring season was in April, had already passed. So I left my senior citizens and my um, Alzheimer's patients and came over to the school. So, Then I realized, oh my goodness, I love this when I started working with the children. What the thread was between these two things was that they're a vulnerable population. Mm -hmm. I love vulnerable populations. And so working with children or the elderly, I love them both. Uh, But that's that's really my thing. I I realized that uh, vulnerable populations were really, really important to me uh, to be able to advocate for and stand up for them. I love that. And you know, people, our children are our most vulnerable citizens. I mean, and elderly as well, right? But I love the fact that you recognize that because it's one of those things where so many rules, regulations, laws, policies, procedures, they're made and children really don't get a voice in that. And so they need individuals such as yourself to step up and advocate on their behalf and what benefits them best, not what benefits maybe society best. Yes. And I think a lot of times adults are busy in their world and they don't stop to slow down to consider what that child may be thinking um, and what that child, you know, may be going through and what's going through their mind. We just think we just throw them in the back of the van, keep moving, you know, (laughs) put your book bag on, do your homework and not really, you know, tap into that young person. So you're, you're exactly right. You know, I was just thinking too, you mentioned your husband uh, being in charge of the school and you a guidance counselor. I just want to feel for your kids. <laughs> they didn't have a chance. They were no, like, 
my mom and dad rule this school. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That <laughs> was it. I know. So that, so kids, if you're listening, this is your mother's apology now. She's letting you know. <laughs> your recommendations on LinkedIn are really impressive with young people coming back and saying that you changed their lives by pursuing their dreams, not being in debt. What does that make you feel like to help a person or a family with the work that you're doing? Oh my goodness. It is so rewarding um, to look back at some of these young people because I've been doing this for 12 years now. So I have enough time for kids to go through high school and go through college. And um, some of them are just, it's just thrilling to see them launched in life. And that's so important because many times we have a lot of young people in their early 20s that are, are not launching well. And a lot of these kids that are um, that I've worked with, they launched so well, and it's so exciting, and especially to see some of the careers they're getting into, because when they were in eighth grade and I was working with them, some of these careers didn't even exist, yeah. and now they're stepping into them. So it's so exciting um, to see how they're creating these new uh, careers for themselves, uh, following their own passions and being so successful. Um, one exciting young man is, um, was, um, an, a, a math brainiac. I mean, he was just a genius and, uh, he was in high school. He was doing, uh, Calc 2, college Calc 2 in, in like the 11th grade. And he thought it was nothing. <laughs> this kid's a genius. Uh, and then, um, he's actually has chosen another path other than a math STEM field. But the idea is that, but at, at the same time, that student is going for his PhD. So you always, you kind of almost can see it sometimes when you see that student, you don't know exactly what path they'll take, but you can see the academic um, genius in them and, and just help them move forward with that. It's just really exciting. Yeah. You had one gentleman, a young man on your LinkedIn who made a comment about great, how grateful he was for not being in debt because of the work that you did for him and his family. And that's one of the things I wanted to talk with you today was about student debt because the numbers are absolutely staggering, um, especially in two areas that I didn't quite realize. I did some homework before our chat today. And I, you know, of course I hear things because of the females in finance you know, arena that I work in and the women talking about it. But one, women carry the overwhelming majority of student loan debt in our country today with at 54%. And two, the amount of baby boomer student loan debt is astronomical. The report that I uh, pulled up said that folks that are 60 and over, 60 and over are carrying $86 billion in student loan debt today. And so I'm pretty confident when I hear those numbers, if you add in other diversity um, and inclusion parameters outside of the gender, so such as race or socioeconomic backgrounds and geographical settings, these numbers tend to climb higher and higher and higher the more that you add DEI initiatives around that. And yet for all of this money, I want you to talk about what 39% means. Well... Yes, for all of that money, you know, to just about two years ago, student loan debt was at $1.3 trillion. And it was at the cover of Consumer Report 2016, August 2016, 1.3. Today it is 1.5. That's only a couple of years. years. 
Why is it growing so quickly? And at the same time, people imagine that it's not going to hit them. And I say imagine, because with those numbers, it's, it's really um, unbelievable. The other thing about that, I want to add something else into that, um, about the, the women and the groups that are being affected mostly, is that in addition, the areas that have the highest student loan debt uh, are the larger cities mm-hmm. um, and the larger, you know, larger states where the, you know, bigger populations are. Um, and those places are also the places where we have the other dem- different demographics. Yeah. We have a larger numbers of them. So we can easily track and say, wow, um, this is the student loan debt is definitely in these populations, in these regions of the country where we have um, larger groups of um, minorities um, in, the, in those locations. So, so they do tie hand in hand. The, the thing that's very interesting about the student loan debt is that um, you think that with all this debt, we'd have a lot of graduates um, with their bachelor's degrees. Uh, we have all this debt, but the, the unbelievable thing is that uh, in the, our four-year graduation rate in America is 39%. 39%. So a student that begins college for a bachelor's degree program and ends in four years, only 39% of the students uh, actually achieve that. Uh, so there is a lot of mismatch and misunderstanding as to what's going on. And the students, uh, now they're using the statistic of six years for the graduation. But, you know, when we talk to financial planners, this is really the sticking point. If it's six years, how much have you helped your parents prepare for? A yeah. bachelor's degree, they prepared for four years yeah. um, financially. So um, yeah, it's, it's a very amazing to um, look at these numbers. These are all federal numbers. Yeah, uh, it's, it's like going through the tax code trying to find all this stuff. But, you know, really, it's out there. It's, a, it's available from our federal government. These numbers are real. Um, and, and it is tr- is truly amazing, and and why I know I need to be in this space. Absolutely, and I I mean I jokingly said at the beginning of it, you know, where were you when my kids were going to school? But I have a daughter who went to a for profit school to earn a certification. Uh, I think it was four or five months before she graduated. The school went defunct. It, and she still owes the twenty three thousand dollars in student loan debt. Yes, yes, and she's twenty four. Yes. She's 24. So she's basically buying a car that she never gets to drive. Mm-hmm. She, has a, she has no degree. And it's something that her now is just, you know, had we had, you know, your planning, we could have sat down and had a better, and then understood she should have gone to community college. She should have gone, you know, there's other places that she could have gone for the same type of certification. And yeah, it would have taken her a little bit longer, but she would have ended up in a, a much better, more solvent situation, you know? So I think that, when I hear 39% of people are getting a four-year degree and we have $1.5 trillion worth of debt, I mean, I really want people to hear what that means, how many people are carrying debt that never even received, didn't finish. And a lot of it, I think, is stacked up against that. You know, one of the things about um, your program, you know, how does the program help families not burn through their retirement funds and still send a child to a good college or a university? And all, and also, does, you know, does every child need to go to college? Do they need to, um, I know that's a bit, 
you know, controversial, but today I see so many conversations around this, like, oh, I'm not going to school or so-and-so is going to school. And, but I think it's more due to the debt concern than the transferable skill set that they can carry through. Yes. Yes. So addressing that, what we have done is we've realized, um, you know, students aren't, they're getting in college, but they're not getting out well. And sometimes not getting out well is not getting out with the correct degrees or certifications that they need. Um, So for us, it really doesn't matter where they go in the end, that institution, whether that institution is a trade school, a community college, a four-year school, uh, it's really based on whoever the student is. The program, it runs the same because they need the same skills. Um, We realize that they they get in, uh, but we saw four main elements that were missing when many of these students were having some of this mismatch. And those four things are student readiness. We saw a lot of things that, was, that were missing in readiness, whether that was academic readiness, emotional readiness, something was wrong with the readiness for that student. Then we saw a student discovery. The students were maybe picking a career or major based on the family affirming that career. Pressure. Yeah, pressure. <laughs> Oh, so-and-so wants to be a doctor. Oh, that's so sweet. My little grandbaby wants to be a doctor. And so then the kids get stuck with this title and they really don't pursue who they really are inside. Um, And then the other thing is college selection. Many students are being marketed to as -hmm. opposed to really making a college decision based on what's best for me. And so we took those things and we put those into a curriculum. Uh, And then of course the um, college selection, which everyone is aware of, you know, uh, college admissions, filling out applications and taking test prep. But we use these four elements and design a program so that students are going through this. So if you need to go to trade school, it'll come out when we're looking at your readiness. Yeah. We'll help discover that about you. Uh, We'll discover that when we're going through your uh, career and majors, we'll discover what it is that's best for you so that we offer options. And many times the options are, you know, it may be, here's a career field, here's a, a career field that you can do, um, have a, two st- a two-step process with. I had a student that wants to be a doctor. And so um, the student needed some, with the student readiness, we saw they needed some, a um, little bit extra academic support. Okay. Before they got there to never, you know, chase, you know, say the dreams are not there. The dreams are there and we're going to go after them. And so for this um, student, the plan was for them to actually, they apply to a college for um, biology. They also had another step of going to a community college and studying a medical profession to get a certification and then work in the field as they work their way through their bachelor's degree because the family needed financial help. And so we can offer multiple uh, options for a student that the family can now work through and say, okay, this is what's going to be best for all of us in the long run. I love that. And you talked about the readiness. And with that, what I correlate is maturity because there's a lot of children that, you know, and they're still children at 17 and 18. I don't care if the law says 18 as an adult. They're, they're kids. They're still my babies forever. You know how that goes. You're, you're a mom. But I think that even when I look up at my three plus two children, because I have three of my own and two that I fostered and brought through, 
that there was a maturity level to my son, Justin, for example, you know, that he was ready for things. Whereas that might not have been true for maybe a couple of my other kids. And so I, I love the fact that you have a readiness factor in there to measure, are they ready? Is this something that you can commit to? Because it's a commitment. And it's, for the some, it's the biggest commitment they've ever had, really. I mean, it's not going through the 12 years of school. The, the law mandated they had to do that. But this is where you actually have to step up and say, I'm going to do this and I'm going to pay for it. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> and there's a, you know, which, uh, and I also love the fact too, that you talked about the pressure points of families because they mean well, they want children to go and do well in school. But at the same time, the readiness, you know, and the, and the discovery of understanding what it is they want to do and what they want to be when they grow up. I think there's a lot of adults who still are trying to figure that out, much less a, you know, a yeah. child. And, and a third party is excellent to come in and be objective. Yeah. And they, we don't have the skin in the game of at every Thanksgiving, <laughs> child stood up and said, I am going to be a doctor. And, and we don't have that skin in the game. And so it's easy to say, okay, well, uh, if you want to be a doctor, let's look at some of these things. Are you interested in this? And, uh, you know, we can uh, do assessments and figure out if that's really, you know, what you want to do. If that's real or not. Down that path. And, and there's all kinds of doctors, you know, so you have to work through all of that. But a third party coming in, um, an educational consultant is great to help with that. And, and you talked a little bit about that retirement piece earlier with when the student is able to do a real thorough investigation with guidance, then they're less likely to make rash decisions that end up costing you your retirement. Got it. Like yeah, change exactly. 10 times. Exactly. And so how do we as financial service professionals look at that planning and see gaps in the planning for the kids? For example, what would be one of the questions for a financial service professional who's listening to this today? Should they be asking their clients to identify that they need to work with you on this? Right. So uh, if their child is interested in going to college, do they have college planning in, in, in mind? Um, many times it's the very high performing students that are seeking professional help because they have a lot at risk. And so, and the families that are planning ahead uh, with their financial service, with their finances through a financial planner, they're also consider, would you consider planning ahead for your child to make sure that they're really on track? Um, One of the things that, you know, families don't realize is that um, they'll think, okay, but the school's really taking care of it. And here in Michigan, the student to counselor ratio was quite amazing. One counselor has 729 students on their caseload. Oh my gosh. So the parents that, are, that have a financial planner, uh, they may be in a good school district, but they may not be getting the personal attention that that family really is used to having. Oh, wow. I didn't realize it was quite that. My mouth <laughs> was literally a gape there when you said that. I didn't, I was expecting it's like 300 or 400. I mean, not. Well, the national oh. average is um, 400, over look, 475 is the national average. And the, the Department of Education says that that number is very hard to manage. They would prefer, the Department of Education says that they would prefer the number be around 200. And there's only, about three or four states in the country that have that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and they're that, very 
small population. Let's say rural. They're probably very rural. Let's <laughs> yeah. just call it for what it is. I mean. So, so we're almost, um, the entire country is almost way out of sync with um, the what number. What the expectation is. Yes. So, so to protect your families, it's very important for them to have someone on their own side to really make sure this thing is going right. That's just, just wow. And I know that your uh, platform is easy to use because I've seen a demo of it. So I've had a little insight on that. And I think that every financial service professional in the females and finance space should definitely connect with you and at least hear what your offering is and how it pairs well with what they're doing because I've never seen anybody do what you do. And I, I do this a lot, right? <laughs> I mean, I know some people. Yes, and you so you are one of the very, I mean, you're the only person in this space that I know that does specifically this kind of planning. So yes. it's just, and you've got such a, a, an easy way to access the resources of what you do and have it set up in such a professional way that it's, it's just, it's plug and play. You just go. And you work nationally with financial yes. service professionals. Exactly. So one of the um, other schools that my husband was um, the, the uh, superintendent of was an online school. And okay. so with that experience of working with, uh, in fact, he ran two online schools. Uh, with that experience, we, after 10 years, we said, hey, wait a minute, all of this that we have could actually be an online school. So we created an academy. Over the last several years, from the ground up, uh, it is not someone else's curriculum. It is everything that we believe, everything that we teach, and we have an online academy. So st students can come in from anywhere in the country and be a part of our academy and uh, have the philosophy that really is about the student. Um, it's really what makes them happy and um, tapping into that and giving them the power to see that I actually can get from this dream to the, this real space of sitting in my classroom that will lead me to internships, that will lead me to labs, that will lead me to the career that I would like. But they, they, they know the dream, but they don't know how to get there. Yeah. And uh, yeah. You provide the map for that to yeah. happen. And so I'm also curious as we sort of get to the, the final part of this, what are your thoughts about recruiting more young people, not only in college, but going into our high schools on career days to talk about the work we do in financial services, or what more should we be doing to foster good relationships and conversations around financial services as a career path? Because I think that if we keep doing what we've always been doing, we're going to keep getting what we've always got, which yeah. is a very um, male and white and middle-aged environment in financial services. And I, and I believe that they do a great job, but I think that we're just missing such an opportunity to reach a, a, you know, a crazy amount of wonderful people out there to represent communities today. Yes. Now, we just had a State of the Union address, and uh, our president spoke about all of the women that were in the House that day and how it was the largest number of women we've ever had. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and just the power in that. And I would like to add that in the financial services, we need that same power, um, not only in our political leaders, but in the leading in ways um, that, has never, that have never happened before. We need that in financial services also. Um, going to not only schools, 
but there are many nonprofit organizations that are reaching children and reaching young people, and they'd love to have speakers come in. They'd love to have someone come in and share their careers with them. So beyond um, just saying, well, I don't have time to go to the school, there's so many grassroots organizations in our communities and maybe across town, maybe we need to go across town to present um, an opportunity that students that maybe would not hear such a voice. Um, and, and I mean, that's what makes a difference. That's what made those women um, seek office that have never, you know, in numbers that we've never done before. We just have to do things a little differently. And um, that uncomfortable this is what makes things change and what makes things happen. So yeah, and I mean, it's real easy to sit there and say um, right off the bat, scouting programs, whether it's Girl Scout, Boy Scouts, I don't care which one, or Boys and Girls Clubs, who desperately right. need mentors and people to come in and talk and, and embrace those you know kids. My father was a JA, a jun- you know, junior right. achievement instructor. And so JA is another one. But then to your point, there are just so many one-off programs that you could be reaching out to if you just make a little effort to go out there and and see how you can be helpful in your community. And I'll say that although my children are grown, I still find I crave and enjoy being around young people enough to hear what they're doing and, and get excited with them. I don't want to raise anybody's kids. Don't send them to me. I'm done. But uh, <laughs> but I am very um, comfortable in that space and talking to young people about it. So I'm glad to hear that not only are you from an education, you know, your background and what you do at Summit Scholars, but you're also, you know, wanting financial service professionals, male and female both, to come into communities and talk about ways that young people today, regardless of who they are, uh, can choose this as a profession. It's a, it's a good choice. I've been in it for a long time. Yes. Yes. I've survived. It's good. It's fun. Uh, so I like to wrap up interviews with, in a fun way. And I have three questions I love to ask and don't worry, I have to do the same thing too. So whatever you answer, I got to put myself through. You ready Priscilla? I'm ready. Oh, here we go. So how about question number one? What is your favorite movie? Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. <gasps> Wow. <laughs> so mine's Avatar. And oh. Daryl and I will even sit and watch it in 3D at the house, like big dorks with the glasses. Like he even went and bought like the legit glasses. <laughs> and there we are on a Friday night sitting there with our glasses. We look so dumb. Uh, how about this? What is your favorite candy? My favorite candy is probably a ginger, a ginger candy. Just ginger and sugar, that's it. Oh, my gosh. Something so, spicy. All right, well, look at you. So, Do you like ginger snaps as cookies then? Yes. Something I do. A little kick. Yeah. I do like those. I have this really strange addiction to peanut brittle. Oh. Um, so much so that I remember my dad took me down to uh, Lake of the Ozark, Silver Dollar City here in Missouri, in Branson, good old Branson. And my most, not the rides, not the, all the stuff, I got to go watch peanut brittle be made. And I remember being a kid and sitting in the glass. I'm highly allergic to walnuts, but here I am with my <laughs> peanut brittle. I don't go figure, right? I, I live a dangerous life. How about, what was your favorite cartoon growing up? My favorite cartoon growing up probably was Gumby. Was Gumby? Oh, I didn't even think Gumby. about that. Yeah, I'm old. Girl, what's the same? Did it I, was, Gumby? 
<laughs> Wonder Twin Power Activate. I looked forward to that every Saturday. As soon as I could get up, I was like, oh, and I had chores to do, but my dad knew that I was all about the Wonder Twins. As soon as they were done, then it was out and mowing lawns and dusting and stuff, yeah. but it was Wonder Twins. I had to get that in. It's so funny. Gumby, I love that. <laughs> oh, I love that you changed it up. That's good. So how do our listeners get in touch with you? What's the best way to contact you and find your resources? So our website is summit www.summitscholars.com and our uh, phone number is the 800 number, 800-721-0480. That's 800-721-0480. And my email, if our listeners would like to email me, I'm advisor at summitscholars.com. So we are Summit Scholars for Real College Advice. Love that. Priscilla, I have such an admiration for the work that you do, but more importantly, I also want people to know that you are one of the kindest, you are one of the most inclusive, uh, warm human beings I have ever had the privilege of meeting. And I'm grateful you're, that you're my circle of friends and advisors. Thank you for that. Honestly. Oh, thank you so much. Y'all. That is so sweet. I so appreciate it. And I, I think the world of you as well. Well, listeners, thank you for listening to today's episode of The F Word. You can learn more about today's guests and the topics uh, we covered in our show notes. And if you love today's podcast because you know that you did, please, please be sure to subscribe. Don't keep it a secret. We'd like you to share it and make sure you tag hashtag females and finance in your posts so that we can engage with you as well. And we always want you to remember it's The F Word. It's where females and finance are not dirty words. Thank you so much for being here today.